Hey folks, if you've seen any of the great merch we have lately, we've got Witch Police shirts, we've got bags, we've got more gear on the way. That's all made by our friends at Divine Shirt Company. Whether it's screen printing or embroidery, heat press vinyl or graphic design, Divine Shirts is the place to go for your band merch. They've been doing some of the best stuff from the best bands in Winnipeg and beyond. And if you're looking to get some merch made, head over to divineshirtcompany.ca or follow them on Instagram and tell them which police radio sent you. Get up off your ass and get up on the podcast! Alright, welcome to Witch Police Radio. Uh, you know, I am always on the internet. I, I keep prefacing these episodes every time, and it's kind of annoying, I'm sure, to listen to, but by saying I'm not actually meeting people in person, because I used to go out and hang out with people in their jam spaces or apartments or cars or whatever to record these, but now we're strictly digital, which is kind of cool because it, it uh, means I can still do the show during the pandemic. But I think the best way to kind of kick us off right away is if you want to introduce yourself and give a little bit of background about what you're doing musically, and I have a lot of questions, but let's start from there. Okay, so uh, my name's AJ Ongina. I'm singer-songwriter from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, kind of on an adventure of being a solo artist at this time. Uh, started off playing in a lot of local bands, metal, punk, you name it, I've done it. And uh, kind of took the reins and decided to do this all myself. Cool. And then you released, uh, I'm assuming it's your first solo album, earlier this year, right? first one that i've ever put out to the world technically it's my fourth that i've done what is the fate of the other three are they just kind of sitting in a drawer somewhere or a basement or a computer yeah they're sitting on a shelf yeah Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so i guess um you know after that obviously you've been doing this for a while then working towards uh putting out solo music so what was the uh what was it about this collection of songs that that you felt was uh, i'm assuming you know more worthy to present to the world than than the previous efforts uh you know what actually this solo uh, project kind of was an accident okay. it started off as a one-off show uh, a friend of mine you actually just had him on one of your episodes that was uh, charlie feta cool yeah. he did a um uh what do you call it? a benefit show for murdered missing aboriginal women okay and uh he asked me if i'd play on on the bill and so i kind of wrote a couple songs right then and there on acoustic and right on. that's really what started me on this uh solo artist thing so like you said, um, you know, you have that background in punk and hardcore and metal and things like that. Do you feel that that is, is still strongly coming through in what you're doing? I mean, you know, obviously a lot of your stuff is acoustic. It's, as you said, singer-songwriter. But are those elements, like, kind of permanently attached to you when you're writing songs? Oh, yeah. Um, it's it's kind of funny how the first album is very acoustic. And uh, when, like, this... How do I call this? I think the first album, I'm just calling it disc one. Okay. Uh, technically, my first album is going to be three volumes, three oh, wow. separate okay. discs. Uh, the second album, which I'm about halfway done recording, uh, it's all electric so far. I think there's only one song on the track list that's acoustic in okay. nature. It, it, when you say all electric, is it like, is it heavy? Is it, or is it just the same kind of vibe, but just turned up a little bit? Okay. So the first one is very mellow it was chill yeah 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 the second one's gonna be more rock and the third one i have a lot of heavy stuff on it cool okay okay and then it's a a build-up cool is that is that something you always wanted to do like had you always wanted to release a a solo record that has kind of that louder heavier feel to it no this is all (laughs) new uh there is no real big plaid uh i i guess i had the first 30 40 songs that i 
I did as a solo artist yeah. and it just kind of with the collection of songs, I didn't want to mix them all together. I kind of wanted to build that up. Once I saw the body of work that I had, uh, I had to separate them in a, in a certain way. Okay. Okay. Now that you have, I mean, you know, it was, it was beginning of the year you released uh, the first one, but what, since that's come out, what is, how do you feel about it? I mean, like you said, you have a bunch of other stuff you recorded, but never released now that this is out in the world and, and people are hearing your stuff. What's your kind of perception of, of how it's being received or of like, do you feel comfortable with those songs kind of being in the public domain now? Right. Okay. So that's a two part question. Sure. sure. Uh, the first part, I guess you asked how, how, I, how it's being received. Yeah. Uh, the answer to that is terribly, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, there's, I wear a lot of hats in this project, right? I literally write all the songs, play all the instruments. I recorded all myself, yeah. mix master, released it, everything. And the one thing I didn't know anything about was music marketing. And so I basically released this album to the world and there was no one there to listen to it. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's, uh, that's the hard part about that, that album. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's this weird thing now that like we have all these great tools to be able to record and release and, and put our, our own music out there. But now everyone has to be their own promoter basically, right? Like everyone has to hustle this weird uh, set of skills that people who are creative don't necessarily have. I think a lot of people struggle with that where they can, the writing and recording and performing that part is down, but then it comes to this weird, like quasi business thing you got to do to sell yourself. And I think a lot of people struggle with that for sure. Right. So I've kind of looked at um, like major labels in a different light lately. And I think basically what they are just marketing geniuses. They're <laughs> essentially marketing you and selling you to the entire world True, and yeah. hoping you catch on. And whereas you're, you know, if you're in your basement trying to market yourself, you're trying to find those niche audiences and uh, it's, it's a whole different world. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You... There's nothing to do with the music, but it's. No, no. You can be the best music ever. Right? It, really. yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I guess, do you know what your niche audience is then? I mean, you know, who, who, who would you like to be listening to this? Whether they are or not right now, it remains to be seen, I guess. Right. But what is kind of the <laughs> ideal audience for what you're doing? So I've, I've been doing a little bit of this marketing, doing some tests and, and things. And I found that actually the demographics are pretty uh, even across the board, like men and women are 51, 49%, but uh, the age range that I'm getting are between 18 and 27. And I'm a little older than that. And I don't right. understand, you know, that generation that well. Yeah, I but, hear you on that uh, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that seems to be who's receptive to the music okay. as well as uh, the countries, the big com uh, countries for me are Germany, the Netherlands, and uh the uk like huh. those are that's who's listening to my music apparently so that's interesting to find that out does that does that in, uh, influence how you plan on doing future stuff i mean if you know that the audience is predominantly younger is that going to change how you write things or do you just figure that like they like what you're doing already so just just keep doing it um actually i i feel like there's a, a shift in the music industry in general yeah and you almost have to you know get with the times uh, I saw this uh, TED talk with Alan Cross. I, okay. I don't know if you yeah, know yeah, Alan yeah, Cross, yeah, but yeah, like, he has the, some of the greatest information out there. And uh, he was saying that uh, the skip rates on, you know, digital and streaming, it's like 25% skip in the first five seconds, I believe 30 it, yeah. and 10, and then, you know, 35 after the first 30. But once you hit that 30 second mark, then you get paid. Right. Any track right. over 30 seconds, you get money. So these, uh, these artists, these new pop, you know, anybody doing this, they're trying to write songs where they hook you, they hit you with a chorus. They just want to keep you for that 30 seconds. Yeah. 
And so, like, the biggest hits lately, like, the last couple of years was Old Town Road with a two-minute song. Uh, this year was Mood, 24K Golden. That was probably a big one. Okay. Two-minute song. Right, it's, right. Like, the industry is changing where you're basically writing jingles just to get that first 30 seconds. That's crazy to think so, about. I know. And so uh, I was having a conversation with, like, my best friend who's also, uh, he writes music with me. And we are talking about this shift. And he asked me, he's like, are you going to start writing two-minute songs? And I, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. You we'll might see. have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to keep up with everybody. Yeah. Does that, like, take away from the, the artistic part of it, though? I mean, if you know that, that, that the, the way it's being consumed is, is by someone who has, like, the attention span of an ant, <laughs> does, that, does that change how you... Um, does, does that take away from it? I mean, if you have this great song that maybe maybe it's five minutes long, and maybe in that five minutes, everything you need to put into that song is there. Will you scrap that or change that just because you know that you're going to get a bunch of kids hitting skip before you get to the, the meat of it? Uh, well, okay, so this is a great question. Actually, on the next album, uh, I have a song that is eight minutes and 20 seconds long. Okay. Uh, it starts off with like a four-minute symphony, and then it goes into the actual song. So uh, how I'm going to release that is an album version that is eight minutes and 20 seconds long, but the uh, the single release will be the just the four-minute song. Okay, okay. Yeah, so... That's an it's interesting way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's not that that's not unusual because you get some songs, you know, back when 45s was the main genre that people listened to, there'd be like, you know, part one and part two on the same single and they'd play one half on the radio. So it's, it's not really that different, I guess. It's just updated yeah. for the digital age, right? Exactly. Lightning running through the 
You know, I was listening to some of your stuff, and uh, I want to talk about the Christmas song in a minute. But you have this mini documentary that you put out a couple of days ago about a hardcore yes. band you were in back in the day. And first of all, I think it's hilarious. Um, you know, the idea of releasing a documentary about about one song <laughs> about a band yeah. that's been dead for like 13 years—that's that's awesome. Um, I've definitely been in bands where we've done stupid shit like that, and it's, it, it makes it. I like the idea of taking something that really, in the scheme of things, shouldn't be important, but it's important to you, and just acting as if it is important to everyone. I love seeing stuff like that. <laughs> so what is the story for people who haven't seen that documentary? What is the story behind this? Okay. So this actually ties into very well with like, which police radio. Cause okay. like I, you guys, I think the main thing is your archive of local music. This yes, is kind of what I, I know where you're going of. with this. Cause I real I recognize someone in your band, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so what I wanted to do was if, if the last thought I had in this documentary was uh, this documentary is the only piece of information that will ever prolong the history of the band or the song right because back then the only thing was myspace nobody uses myspace anymore it's surprising it still exists yeah but it does somehow yeah so there's no footprint that we ever existed and so i kind of wanted to put that out there and say hey you know what we were here we existed here's the record of it yeah you know come see it I love that. I think more people should do that. And that is, you're right, that's one of the reasons that Wish Police, before it became a podcast, started as an archive of local stuff, because I had a bunch of tapes from my old bands, and my friends' old bands, and it was just like, no one's going to hear these, they're going to be disappear in some someone's basement forever, and then now, hey, they're online. Whether five people hear it, or a hundred people hear it, it doesn't matter. It's there as like a document of this This, this existed, no matter how bad or good it was. And, exactly. Uh, so when I was watching the, the documentary, um, the frontman of your band, uh, Johnny Wilson, he yeah. was in a bunch of bands that you know, I knew him from back in the day. And when he was in Den of Iniquity and, and TBA and all these ridiculous hardcore bands, and those albums are on the archive of the old Witch Police blog. So oh, that's his, great. his old bands, like you know, that, that no one should remember, but 
they're there, right? I, I still have the CDs, yeah. of course, because I, I hoard that stuff, but <laughs> it's available online. And so it's very cool that something similar is happening uh, with that band. Like, So what, what's the story behind that song, though? Just, I mean, if you can sum up the documentary, like it calls notes version. Okay, so I called the documentary the greatest hit you've never heard. And so basically the documentary tells the story of a Winnipeg music scene in the late 2000s about a band recording a single and nobody heard it. <laughs> and we thought it was fantastic and it just never got out there because we didn't have the means back then. There's sure. no Spotify's, there's nothing. So yeah, it came and went. And if you missed it, it was like a meteor, right? You'll see it in a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the one thing that is, um, I tend to shit on technology a lot because I, I listen to records and tapes and CDs and I'm old and I complain all the time. But the one good thing about the internet is is that this era now you can capture everything. Like if you're playing in a band, you could have five of your friends recording the show on their phones and there's a document of that. You can record demos in your basement. In, you need a laptop. You're good, right? Like it's yeah. so much more convenient for that kind of thing. And things like the, um, I know you mentioned online the, uh, the the documentary about the Manitoba hardcore scene that came out uh, earlier this the year. The Manitoba Connection. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. I mean, that, that's such a cool like just just archive of that time and place that that and a lot of stuff from that era just has disappeared because it's right before kind of the social media boom right so there's this like weird pocket where people did have the internet and they did have the way they had the means to document all this stuff but a lot of cases they just didn't or they saved it on some kind of old obsolete format or whatever and so it's very cool to see stuff from then coming out because it's like this weird dead zone almost in, in, in recorded history of, of of local stuff right yeah, like we had the internet, but it wasn't what it is today. Yeah, yeah. And actually, there was a Brandon one, too. They talked about the punk scene. That's, of right, That's yeah. a great documentary yeah. as well. Um, on the same topic about these, you know, formats or, or lost music, you did an episode, uh, I think it was the, la- the, current, the most current one on, on Witch Police with uh, Dane Bjornsson. Yeah. And this, the second he said this guy, uh, the Great Ring of Fire guy, I yeah. lost it. Yeah, that's Eric, Eric the Great. The Great. Yeah, that's right. And you guys were talking about how, you know, there was one single and you guys couldn't find any other, um, uh, anything else for well, it. I know right? he has an album. I know he has an album that came out, a CD. Yeah. Right. So this, I want to show you this. Oh, right This on. is Eric the Great, uh, his album. And so there is documentation of his musical work and it happened to be in my basement. That's very cool. Yeah. So that's... Uh, a. I met him one time at Aussie's in the bar and yeah, I bought a CD cause nice. I recognized him from the street and yeah. Cause you guys were saying, you know, there's no documents. And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know what? I got it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, right? Is with all kinds of guys like that and bands like that, there's somebody who has it, right? I mean, whether it's someone who was in the band or met the guy or knows them or family member or whatever, but that stuff is just sitting there. And you know, the more people move away from physical media, unfortunately, the less like more likely that stuff is to just get tossed. So yeah, it's, exactly. Uh, I'm always very encouraging of people to archive shit because like, you know, it's someone will want to hear it one day. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. Like it could be 20 years from now, someone discovers it and it becomes their new favorite band that, you know, only existed for a year in 2006 or something, but, but <laughs> it, it becomes their thing. Right. So yeah, it's, it's very cool. Yeah. They're looking for demos or B sides and That's yeah, right, yeah, it's the yeah. only way they'll ever exist. Yeah. Or, or what could happen? I mean, even better is someone from one of these bands goes on to do something notable i mean you know right. they, they get out of winnipeg they they get into some other project that becomes nationally famous or internationally famous and you know people are looking for demos and b-sides and things and it's like oh hey some guy in winnipeg has this cdr <laughs> or, yeah. or this this, <laughs> this tape right and it's like that that's worth something to to the fans of that guy's music or whatever so yeah there, there's a there's value to it for sure exactly how much does it take 
So the uh, the Christmas song this this will come out after Christmas yes. this this podcast but so I mean it, we're not really in the in the holiday spirit at right. the time people are hearing this but um, what prompted that I mean Christmas music is like this whole separate genre of weirdness <laughs> that yes. kind of appears every year right and then fades away until you get around November uh, what was the uh, inspiration behind that So uh, my daughter she's she's eight okay. and she's. My kids, they love uh, the the night Santa went crazy. So okay. the Weird Al song, it was a take on a, a soul asylum thing. I, I think is what it was. Okay. My kids love this this Santa where he goes crazy and shoots up the North Pole. They think it's hilarious. And so my daughter says, "You know, Daddy, you should write a, a Christmas song." I'm like, "Like a sentimental one? You want me to be all sappy?" She yeah. said, "No, no, write a Weird Al type one." So I thought, okay, so how do you make a Christmas song? That isn't all gory, yeah. but is still kind of funny and, and has that those elements. And so uh, I think I started working on it that night, and by the next day I already had a, a like almost finished song, but ninety nice. percent done. So it kind of wrote itself. It was uh, it's quite an easy process. Well, Christmas music is so weird too because you know you mentioned your, your kids liking it. Like that's really when I hear Christmas music because my kids listen to it too. Like my daughter, my youngest daughter, has it playing in her room all night while she's asleep, and it's like. I couldn't handle more than about two minutes of Christmas music, but when you're a kid, right? That's what that's that, that's when Christmas matters. That's when it's like. So it's kind of funny, I think, to do like a, a sort of tongue-in-cheek Christmas song that adults will get when yeah. Christmas music is so much like Christmas is so much a kids thing. So yeah, I, I like the kind of. Uh, I think it goes with the whole punk rock thing too. The kind of sarcastic um, view of Christmas that you have on the song. Yeah, exactly. It, it it's like a it's a take on like real life, right? It's saying you know, mom's getting high in the back room because she can't handle yeah. listen to dad's glory stories anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So say the kids won't get it, but we all get it for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what Christmas becomes the older you get to, right? It's this thing where you uh, 
the magic of it is different. <laughs> it changes it's, a little it bit over the years. It is literally National Lampoon's Christmas totally, vacation. Totally, Every yeah, year, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Well, I think that the older you get, the more you, the, you your sympathies change with the characters and things, something like that, where you get yeah, exactly. what they're going through more. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So how, how was that received? Because you made a video for it, which is pretty funny and stuff too. Yeah, and, so the video, um, I picked up a green screen yeah. because during the quarantine times, you, you needed something to release. So sure. I figured I'd get a green screen and I'd, I'd boost up my YouTube content. And now I, all of a sudden I had this Christmas song. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make a music video for it. So yeah, I rushed uh, I rushed out a video. I kind of came up with a couple ideas and it, it all worked out pretty well. Uh, the song was received. This goes back to my music marketing thing. Yeah is uh, with an album, you can really make one post. Essentially, it's one thing. But if you have singles, you can make 10 posts sure. or whatever, right? And so what happened was, because I put all my effort into this one song, uh, this Christmas in the Suburbs ended up being my most popular song, and it outperformed my entire album. It was oh, wow. streamed three times as much as the entire album combined. That's pretty cool. It's, it's kind of unexpected, I guess, right? Very unexpected. I woke up that first day to 5,000 streams and it was up to 13,016. Wow. I'm like, wow, this is this is something. Well, the, the good thing about it, too, is that you have this evergreen material now that you can release every year at Christmas. Because, exactly. I mean, it's, 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 not, it's not really time sensitive, right? It's just as long as you put it out when there's snow on the ground, you're, you're good. Yeah, exactly. Like this first run is uh, I released it on the 14th. Yeah. So I got 11 days out of it, essentially. Nice. And then it won't. Yeah, and then next year it'll come back, you know, when they start playing Christmas music again. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously what you've been doing during the pandemic, <laughs> is playing with yeah. the green screen and making music videos. But has this really affected you badly in terms of, like, you know, actually creating music? Because some people are dealing with it differently, depending on who it is. Like, some people have been really creative. Other people have been completely shut down and not wanting to do anything musical. How have you kind of dealt with this weird situation we're in? It's, it's weird that... I have all this material, like I like I said, I have the second album half recorded. Yeah. And I have no ambition to record the rest. <laughs> I just keep putting it off. Like I think in the last year I've recorded five cover songs. Okay. Like uh a couple I guess it would have been a month ago now, I woke up with uh a Bon Jovi song in my head. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna record that today. Yeah. I ended up recording the song. It, it's just it's one of those things where uh, I guess the quarantine is taking the drive out from finishing the album because I know there's nowhere to perform it. Sure. Yeah. Like there's, I don't see a CD release on the horizon. I don't see a tour on the horizon. So it's just kind of, I can take my time. Yeah, that makes sense. That's actually a good plan. I think is just not, not, not rushing into anything that you can't promote. That goes back to the marketing thing too, right? Is like, what's the point of promoting a record if there's no one to, to see it, to see you play it live or, or to, to buy it or whatever, right? Right, exactly. Like, I had all these plans, like, um, I was going to go to Japan in the spring and play a few shows, and oh, I had cool. a few booked in, in Europe as well. And, of course, that all got cancelled. So, you know, the drive is gone to, to get out there, because you just can't leave the country right now. Yeah, yeah. H had you Have you played, like, out of the country before? Yeah, so, uh, in 2017, 2018, I can't remember exactly what year it was, uh, I was in the Netherlands, and I did a string of shows out there, uh, some radio, some TV okay. stuff. Yeah, it was pretty good. I think that's why I I have listeners from you know Belgium, Netherlands is because of that. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How how did you end up out there? Well, so the story of that is I was actually out on vacation. I had no ambition <laughs> to play shows, and I I meet this guy and he's hey you know what I'm into music and I was like oh hey I play music so yeah. I played him a few songs 
next thing you know, he's on the phone talking Dutch to these people. He's like, Hey, you got a show tomorrow. <laughs> okay. And then you're going to do radio the next day. And then you're going to do TV the wow. day after that. And it was just this whirlwind where I'm supposed to be on vacation. And there I am playing like five gigs. That's kind of cool though. Oh, it's awesome. It's one of the greatest things. You got to find someone like that here. <laughs> Who can do all that for you in Winnipeg? Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, actually, ideally, if I could have one of those people in like every country, I would love to play as many places as I possibly for can. For sure, yeah.
So once, when, assuming the pandemic ends right away, which it won't, but if it ended next week, would you kind yeah. of immediately want to set up shows, CD release, that kind of thing? Or would you still want to take it kind of slow? Um, you know what? It's been a while. Like, I think the last show I played was a CD release in January. Okay. So okay. it would be nice to get back on stage, even, you know, a couple shows to kick the rest off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my live shows are so different than the studio album stuff because studio, I can sit here, I can record 20 guitar parts and put as many stringed instruments as I want, but live, it's just me and a guitar in the band. Yeah. And you know, you make, and I make a lot of mistakes on stage. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> so it's kind of fun to see where we go when something like that happens. Does that a different um, dynamic? When you're writing the songs, like, I mean, you, like you said, in the studio, you can add so much extra stuff to it. Do you write them so you can actually perform them solo as well like is there a sort of a, is that thought involved when you're writing and recording the song that okay i have to also strip this down so i can do it you know as a one-man thing uh yeah so uh, uh most of the songs on blanket of ghosts have three or four different versions depending on okay. how many band members i have with me at the time or what the feeling is so uh like the song mega satan for example uh song about an ex-girlfriend not about the devil but I mean, it's a I good guess title, though. very good title. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that one, I actually have an acoustic version and I have uh, a separate acoustic version, second acoustic version that was recorded, but never released. Okay. And then we have the the live version and then the album version. Oh, cool. So you, yeah. you're versatile enough that you can play it depending on the situation. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so all the songs are wrote on acoustic to start anyway. And then I just, depending on how I want to release a song or how I want to play it live, you can play it live many different ways. Yeah. Do you have a, a preference? Like, would you rather be playing with a full band or do you, are you comfortable just being the, the guy with the guitar? I am comfortable now. I never was like, in fact, I never sang until this solo project. Oh, really? First time I ever sang in front of another person was at that, um, that benefit show. When okay. I sat up. Wow. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for me, this is, this whole singing thing is a whole new, um, it's a new venture, we'll call it. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I the whole reason why I took on a band though, because I did just play solo with just me and a guitar for about two or two and a half years. So I got bored. Okay, I just missed having people on stage with me to interact with, and so that's why I started taking on uh, band members because it just needed to be done. Do you have kind of a core group of people you play with as a band, and then you can expand or shrink that, or is it just sort of whoever's available, or what, what do you do for that? Okay, so my best friend Jim, uh, him and I have been writing songs together forever. Okay. Um, and so he plays bass with me uh, when we play live. And we had another guy play drums for us for a few years. And we would go on stage and call ourselves Weapons in Space or AJ on Gina and his friends from Outer Space. Okay, good name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, that drummer left. And now I have a another drummer and a keyboard player and Jim bass player. So cool. yeah, when we, when we play live, we can really take these songs in any direction we want any version we want for that matter that's awesome yeah so if uh if people are hearing about you for the first time on this show obviously you know right now they can't see you live maybe the good thing about it being a podcast is it's available pretty much any time so someone could hear this a year from now and hopefully by then things have changed and you're playing shows and you're you're actively you know able to do stuff but what's the best sort of way for someone to find out about what you're up to maybe hear your music and uh hopefully find out about upcoming shows when and if there are any <laughs> so um you know i kind of stick to the three platforms that i'm most familiar with uh it'll be instagram uh facebook and youtube okay that's basically um i don't really cross platform stuff i try and put different things on every platform 
So YouTube, you'll find demos. You'll find me sitting in this in the same room as I'm in right now yeah. with just a guitar playing some songs. Uh, Instagram is a little all over the place. And Facebook, I generally just put videos up there. The The big stuff goes on the Facebook. Okay, okay. And then things like the documentary that's on YouTube. Yes. And the music video for the, the Christmas song, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you... Uh, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, not all releases end up uh, on all the streaming platforms. Uh, the Spotify's, Apple Music, that sort of thing. I don't have SoundCloud, but uh, it's up on all the other big ones. So people can find you if they need to find you, yeah. Yeah, exactly. With the uh, the album, you have physical copies of that as well, right? I am almost sold out, nice. believe it or not. I That's awesome. think I have about 15, maybe 20 left. Okay. There's not not many left in existence that's that's a good problem to have <laughs> oh, I, I know a, a lot of people when... who release a bunch of physical stuff and, and just they can't get rid of it right so it's, it's, it's nice to hear yeah yeah exactly like in a day where nobody buys physical albums it's great to not have them yeah i suppose like yeah. that i was able to get rid of them but if someone wants one of those where can they get that do they just contact you or is it uh yeah, yeah. basically dm me that inbox is pretty empty most <laughs> times so <laughs> yeah it's pretty easy to get a hold of me directly yeah 